Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. From anger and anguish to celebration and gratitude. Protests erupting nationwide. Reaction from both sides to the Supreme Court's landmark ruling overturning Roe v. Wade. Jerry is out this week, so I'll be giving you a recap of the Vatican's responses to the overturning of Roe v. Wade by the U.S. Supreme Court. South Sudan only gained independence in the north in 2011, but now the world's youngest country has already slipped into civil war. Up next, I talk with Santa Gidio's Elizabeth Boyle about Vatican-backed peacemaking efforts in South Sudan, where Pope Francis was set to visit this week. I'm Colleen Dully. This is Inside the Vatican. The Vatican has issued two separate responses to the U.S. Supreme Court's historic decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, which had guaranteed a legal right to abortion nationwide. The first response was from the Pontifical Academy for Life, a Vatican office that consults with bioethicists and medical experts to promote the Church's view that life should be protected from conception until natural death. The Academy briefly welcomed the decision while acknowledging the heated debate around abortion, and it warned against the debate becoming ideological. The statement also stressed the importance of making political decisions that, quote, promote conditions of existence in favor of life, including adequate sexual education, guaranteed health care, and community-based assistance to mothers and families. The second Vatican statement was an editorial in the Vatican's daily newspaper, the Osservatore Romano. Editor-in-chief Andrea Tornelli struck much the same tone as the Pontifical Academy for Life, writing that those who consider themselves pro-life should back methods that support families and reduce abortions and deaths. Tornelli pointed to statistics showing that Black women in the U.S. have a maternal mortality rate almost three times higher than the rest of the population. He urged support for paid parental leave and defending against the threat of firearms, which he said have become a leading cause of death of children and adolescents in the U.S. I'll link to both of those statements in the show notes for this episode. They're worth reading, if only because they show that the Vatican is less concerned with celebrating a legal victory and more concerned about supporting women and children in need. Pope Francis was scheduled to visit the Democratic Republic of the Congo and South Sudan beginning this Saturday, July 2nd. The trip was postponed indefinitely because Pope Francis's doctors had advised him not to travel, and he'll now be sending Vatican Secretary of State Cardinal Perelin to the two countries for a more low-key visit. But even though the trip's been postponed, the peace efforts that the Pope has promoted in South Sudan are continuing. And one major Catholic organization that's involved in that is Sant'Egidio, a lay group that specializes in peacemaking. So without further ado, here's my interview with Santa Gidio's Elizabeth Boyle. Elizabeth, welcome to Inside the Vatican. Hi, Colleen. Thanks for having me. Do you want to tell us what your uh, actual title at Santa Gidio is? Sure. I'm an international relations officer, which is 
a broad term for a job that covers lots of different things. Got it. All right. So let's talk about South Sudan, even though your job covers many different things. So can you give me like the five minute Spark Notes version? Just what do we need to understand about the fundamentals of what's happening in South Sudan? Sure. So South Sudan is the world's youngest country, both in terms of when it was founded, but also in terms of the demographics and the Hmm. median age. The country was founded in 2011. Um, and unfortunately has been embroiled in civil conflict ever since. The first outburst of conflict was in December of 2013 between Riyak Machar and the president Salva Kiir. There was an agreement reached, but then that conflict engulfed again in 2016, which led to another agreement signed in 2018 entitled the Revitalized Agreement on the Conflict in South Sudan. Unfortunately, what happened at that time, it was set up to establish its transitional government in the following two years, beginning in 2020. But there were groups that didn't agree with how the agreement was negotiated, with the terms that were in it, the expectations that were underlined. So this 2018 agreement, which was created to be inclusive for all, wasn't in reality because there Mm. were a group of non-signatories that were not a part and parcel of this. So because you had people that were left out, there was still violence that that continued to spread because there were folks who were not in agreement with it, so therefore had no obligations to have to follow what was set out. In 2019, Pope Francis invited the, the leaders of the country. So Salva Kiir, Riyak Machar, and the five vice presidents, in, including uh, Riyak Machar, to come to the Vatican for what was entitled a spiritual retreat, along with the Archbishop of Canterbury and the moderator of the Presbyterian Church. And it's in this moment where we see the quite historic and almost shocking image of Pope Francis kneeling down and kissing the feet of these leaders, quite literally begging them to accept peace and bring holistic, sustainable peace to the country. So around that same time, Sant'Egidio has had a relationship with South Sudan since 1996, before South Sudan was South Sudan, and we've always been friends of the country. But this opening of, of true peace that was started by the Pope and the Archbishop and the moderator was also an invitation for Sant'Egidio to try to accompany these groups a bit more specifically. So in 2020, we started an initiative entitled the Rome Initiative with the purpose of finding a way to bring these non-signatory groups, the 2018 agreement, into some of the monitoring and verification processes. So never forcing them or requiring them to sign this 2018 agreement, but rather recognizing that if there is to be peace in South Sudan, it has to include all actors involved. And there should be a way creatively for the international community to bring these groups into compliance and accountability without forcing or imposing upon anybody in agreement. Got it. That was an incredible summary. Um, To go back to the very roots, like back to 2011, and, mm-hmm. and I guess this first wave of violence that came after it, Um, what was the nature of like the disagreement behind the violence? Why why did people start fighting? Yeah, so that's a great question. And I think is one of the problems, one of the problems with that is the answer that's been given mm. is it's often so easy, especially in the field of international relations and politics to simplify and to say this was due to faith or ethnicity or language, understandings of self. But in South Sudan, it's such a nuanced and complex environment. And I would say that, unfortunately, there was an agreement that was signed in 2005 called the Comprehensive Peace Agreement, the CPA in Sudan. And that more or less led the framework for would there be a breakaway into two or would it remain a unified Sudan? 
And there was a lot of political pressure that went on behind the scenes. So the story of South Sudan is is a lot more nuanced, unfortunately, than was presented at the outset. And I think that nuance has gotten lost over the years, which led to some of this violence. Because from the very get-go, there was a misunderstanding of, first off, did people really want to split into two? Mm. And then second, how do you form a national identity and, and social cohesion in a place that has 64 different tribal groups and hundreds of languages all throughout the country? Mm-hmm. So I would say say to answer that, it's it's multiple things. So it's often is a more complicated story. And I would encourage, as with South Sudan and other countries, for people to think of it more holistically to understand what really brought us to the situation that we encounter today. Yeah. Um, you brought up that Santa Gideo has been friends with uh, South Sudan and even before South Sudan existed, but that, that friendship is a key part of Santa Gideo's mission. So could you talk a little bit about what Santa Gideo's involvement here has been? Sure. So Santa Gideo, very quickly, for those who don't know, is a um, lay social movement of the Catholic Church. But you don't have to be Catholic necessarily to be a part of Santa Gideo. But we all have a commitment to what Pope Francis calls the three Ps, peace, prayer, and poor. And as the founder of the community, Andrea Riccardi, said, for us, war is the mother of all poverty. That if you don't try to address and alleviate war, poverty will continue to be exacerbated. And that's the story that you see in South Sudan, because those who are impacted the most are are not necessarily the troops who are fighting, but mothers and and children and young people who are trying to build a nation. You have 2 million internally displaced people and 2 million refugees in South Sudan. It has one of the largest hunger crises in the world. And right now, only 26% of the international budget needed for food security is funded. So we're running into huge, huge problems in the country. So as Santa Gidio, when we say friends, that we're friends with a place or you're in friendship with someone, it's a very serious commitment of responsibility on our part. Because when you are a friend, you say, I will accompany this person both when things are really good and when things get rough. And for South Sudan, that friendship started in 96 and continues today and looks different in those phases. But what we realized was there was a need to find a way to bring these other groups into discussion and collaboration with the government, or else we feared that you would continue to get splinters and breakaways and this peace process would never actually be solidified. So y'all are working primarily with these non-signatory groups? With these non-signatory groups, which refer to themselves as the SOMA, S-S-O-M-A. And in October of last year, the SOMA splintered into two. So we're doing a two-track diplomacy right now, which means a set of meetings with the revitalized government of South Sudan and one group of SOMA, and another with the government of South Sudan and this second SOMA group. Got it. Um, so can I ask, you know, briefly, what, what is Santa Gidio's goal here? And is it the same as Pope Francis's goal? In, in my perspective, what Pope Francis is looking for in South Sudan, and one of the reasons we heard of the mission for his trip was truly pastoral, of accompaniment with a people who have so longed for and worked for peace to finally see that become a reality. And in that sense, that's the exact same thing that Santa Gidea wants to do. Our style of diplomacy is never to enter into a negotiation process with an end goal set out. Hmm. Quite literally, as you're a friend with someone, you don't um, determine what your friendship is going to look like or what you want out of it. And same with us. We're there to accompany, to recognize where our strengths are as as a social movement, as a group that spreads throughout the world, 
And we're there to support the Sassanese in whatever they think is best. And for right now, with the Rome Initiative, what was decided is best is to find a way to bring these non-signatory groups into compliance and inclusion with the verification mechanisms that exist in the country. Can you give us a sense of what the Catholic Church's role in the country is? Like maybe the demographic breakdown and then what the church does there? I believe about 60% of the population in South Sudan is Christian, um, and it oscillates, I think, between majority being Catholic and Anglican. And the, the Catholic Church in general has played a really large role through the Council of Churches, but also through the vowed religious in the country, specifically the sisters. Um, and I wanted to make sure, too, to mention the work of Catholic sisters in the country, because I think oftentimes, unfortunately, it's overlooked, not just in South Sudan, but throughout the world. You hear this narrative of sisters being on the front lines of the work for peace in various capacities, but often they're rendered invisible. Mm. But the sisters in South Sudan are, are just incredible. And in particular, the Sisters of the Sacred Heart, who unfortunately, two were killed back in August of mm-hmm. 2021, which resulted in a pause to our political process. And a few weeks ago, we were able to present here in Rome at the Basilica of San Bartolomeo the relics of the two sisters who were killed as a way of remembering the incredible leadership and tireless work for peace that Catholic sisters in South Sudan have done for years and years, and we know we'll continue to do. Let's talk a little bit about the ecumenical aspect of this. This is kind of an interesting friendship aspect as well, because Pope Francis has a very friendly relationship with Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury. He was going to travel there with uh, Welby and with the moderator of the Church of Scotland. Can you talk about why that ecumenical aspect is important in South Sudan? Sure. And I always say that The world has a lot to learn from South Sudan when it comes to the ecumenical, because Hmm. when you're there and somebody says the church in a sentence, they're not necessarily referring to the Catholic church because the body of Christian churches within South Sudan really view themselves as one. Hmm. And there's a great body called the South Sudan Council of Churches, which has worked for peace long before the country was founded and existed in Khartoum in, in various phases. But it's made up of the Catholic Church, Pentecostal, uh, Seventh-day Adventists, African Inland, all of the different dynamic Christian groups and ways of life that exist. So we're hoping that when this trip is is postponed and does take place, that the world will get the chance to learn from this ecumenical example that's so strong in the country. Yeah. You are in touch with folks in South Sudan all the time as part of your job. Um, And I wonder what you've heard from them about what this visit of the Pope and the Archbishop of Canterbury and the moderator of the Church of Scotland would mean to them. So I was there um, about a month and a half ago, and we were asking that exact question to civil society groups in particular. And people were very cognizant of the fact that a visit of this sort doesn't necessarily bring peace in and of itself. But it's such an important step, um, especially pastorally and spiritually, for a group of people who for so long have used whatever creative methods at their disposal to work for peace, but oftentimes it can feel very far away. What we heard for people is that this visit of the Pope is a, a gift beyond, beyond what they could imagine. It would be a reinjection of hope of an inspiration that the work they're doing is necessary, it's important, and it's fruitful. We heard a lot from from people, too, who never had the opportunity to share their stories before, their stories of displacement, of growing up in, in violence 
but coming out of that experience and working for and thirsting for peace. And I think a lot of people were hopeful that the visit of the Holy Father and the other religious leaders would offer the opportunity to share stories, diverse South Sudanese stories that are not just those at the political level, but are those on the grassroots in different languages, because there's a need to, to shift the narrative of South Sudan a bit. And to share stories of peace. So this this mm-hmm. fatigue of war and violence is not the only thing that's heard. Yeah, it sounds a lot like um, what Jerry, our usual, my usual co-host, and I were talking about when the Pope went to Iraq. It was a similar thing where the Pope really wanted to show that, especially for Iraqi young people, there's a future, there's hope in this this country. You know, the entire narrative doesn't have to be one of war and violence and displacement. Mm-hmm. Following off of that. What have you heard from folks living there about um, the postponement? What has that done for their sense of hope? I think people are a little stuck right now. We're trying to figure out, okay, where do we go next? Makes sense. Right. And, and even ourselves, where I think the international community is wondering, what do we do now? Because unfortunately, there's a war going on in the world, and that's pulling a lot of attention mm-hmm. away from South Sudan. And, and you see that in reports in the last two weeks that the World Food Program won't have enough money as of right now to fund the food security programs that the country relies on. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a bit frightening um, to think about what that will mean for, for South Sudanese. So I would say that if people haven't given up hope, and they never will. There's a group of women that we met who have prayed and fasted for peace every month since 2014, since the fighting resurged. It's incredible. It's an ecumenical body. And when we were there, though I didn't speak the language they were praying in, you could just feel it with your whole heart. And I, I can tell you for sure that that kind of work will not stop. So I think right now, everyone, international community included, is trying to figure out how do we keep attention on South Sudan with the hopes that this visit is will be postponed and, and will happen soon mm-hmm. so that when that moment comes, the world is ready to embrace this new narrative there. Mm-hmm. Has the postponement had any effect on the, the peace work that's going on? So uh, yes and no. I think yes, in the sense that the international community is is trying to figure out what to do next, because the way that the government is set out is the transitional government is supposed to end in February of 2023 mm. with elections 60 days prior, which would put it at the end of December 2022. Mm. And there is a worry right now that not enough processes of healing, of command structures, et cetera, et cetera, some of those things have started. But not everything that was agreed upon in the 2018 uh, revitalized agreement is ready to go to have those elections. But at the same time, uh, as we're speaking in Rome, there's currently a meeting going on being hosted by Sant'Egidio with the CT-SAM-VM, which is the ceasefire and transitional monitoring mechanism of the country. And they're training two groups, SOMA Real SPLM and SOMA SSUFA, for their full inclusion into this mechanism. These are the two groups of non-signatories? Exactly. Got so it. within within the big SOMA group, it's splintered into two. And one of those groups is composed of real SPLM of Paganamum and SSUFA of Palmalong. So it's their um, military leaders who are here in Rome now, and they're receiving this training, which means that at the end, these groups will be a part of the monitoring mechanism. So they will have to report to them. This will give the international community an even better understanding of more actors that are on the ground, where they are, what they're doing, but also vice versa for these groups to be in communication with the international community and with the government. So we're excited to have them here and hopeful for the next few days to come.
Hey Inside the Vatican listeners, it's Colleen. As we near the end of another great season of Inside the Vatican, we want to hear from you. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please help us out by taking a brief survey about Inside the Vatican. We want to hear about you. What are your questions and curiosities? What do you want to hear more of in the show? Your feedback is incredibly valuable in helping us plan the next season of Inside the Vatican. To take the survey, just visit the show notes on this episode. There you'll find the link, and it only takes a minute. Thanks so much for listening, and thanks for taking our survey. Elizabeth, what's the best way that our listeners um, can help? One of the first ways to help if, if people are looking for financial ways, I would recommend folks towards the World Food Program, the Food and Agricultural Organization, the ICRC, the Red Cross, and to look on their websites because I, I do believe that they do public calls for funding as well. And a lot of that money in these global humanitarian funds can be earmarked specifically for South Sudan to put funds there. But I would also say just very simply for people to to learn the story a little bit and share it with the next person that they say, because um, a lot of people don't even know that South Sudan exists. I mean, the, there's a lot going on in the world. So as, as small as it may sound, being eager and available to learn the story, to share with another person, you never know who that could impact or, or what that could change in the future. All right, Elizabeth, thank you so much for taking the time to tell this story and for your good work here with Santa Gidea. We appreciate it. Thank you all for your time. I'll link to those websites Elizabeth mentioned in the show notes so you can learn more. Finally, just a brief update. Although this visit to the Congo and South Sudan was postponed, it appears Pope Francis is still scheduled to visit Canada at the end of July. He was able to walk around with a cane on Sunday, a sign that his health is improving. And the Vatican has officially announced the schedule for the trip, which means it's all systems go. Inside the Vatican will be on summer break during the Pope's visit, but we will be dropping a special deep dive episode on the Catholic Church and colonization around the time of the trip. The episode will give context to Pope Francis's visit and his expected apology to indigenous leaders in Canada. So stay tuned for that. One last thing before we go, if you haven't already, please fill out our listener survey that I'm linking to in the show notes. We've loved hearing from people already. It helps us so much in preparing for the next season of Inside the Vatican, and we can't wait to hear from you. So have a great summer. Please fill out the listener survey, and we will see you next fall. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn and Ricardo Da Silva. Audio engineering by Kevin Christopher Robles and Kira Hanlon. Production assistance from Vivian Richard at the Jesuit Curia in Rome. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org and follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. To support our work here on Inside the Vatican, please purchase a digital subscription to America Magazine. You can do that at americamagazine.org slash subscribe. For America Media, on behalf of Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dully. We'll see you next time. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. 
Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.